0: to a brand new edition of the Anglo-Italian football podcast. Happy New Year. I am Christian Jack and on this date in football history, January the 14th, 2012, Spurs became the first team in Premier League history, which was clearly when football started, to concede 1,000 goals in a 1-1 draw at home to powerhouse Wolves. And now Real Madrid player scored for Spurs that day, but it wasn't Gareth Bale, my co-host Adam Digby. Who was it? Uh, Luca Modric, KJ, and definitely yes. football began in 1990. Clearly did. Clearly did as we as we remember it. And it was Luka Modric, one of my favorite players. And uh, we start that little stat today because there's uh, lots of things to get to around Tottenham. And we'll talk about uh, their current, almost former player, Jermaine Defoe, later on in the show. Uh, but where better to start than with um, AC Milan, Adam? I mean, I've covered this league for a few years now. Uh, you've covered it for a lot longer than I have. Um Am I right in thinking that Max Allegri was a little bit like a Grand National racehorse who I thought was falling at
1: every fence and then eventually fell perhaps at the last one? I would say that for the past season, he's probably been like a Grand National horse without a rider. He's been going, but he had no chance to win. <laughs> <laughs> Love, it. Love um, it. Yeah, he uh, obviously sacked this morning after they lost 4-3 to Sassuolo last night. Yeah. Um He's been, I suppose, the, the phrase is a dead man walking, isn't it? That we hear quite often. Um, he's been like that for quite some time. He's now gone. And uh, Maro Tosotti's been placed in temporary charge. Okay, so uh, for those who are listening,
0: I know I remember Tosotti, the player. We do have a lot of young listeners. Um, give us a little profile on Tosotti
1: and how long is he going to be around? He, he's been there a long time. Um, he was obviously their um, the right back in the, the Grand Milan sides of the... 80s and 90s with Franco Baresi and um, Paolo Maldini there. Yeah. One of their great defenders. Uh, he's been the assistant manager under Carlo Ancelotti, and it, I suppose in a way it was quite a surprise that he didn't go with Ancelotti when Ancelotti left for Milan, uh, uh, left for Madrid, being such a long time assistant to him. Um, mm. I don't know if that. I suppose on, if you're being kind, you would say that reflects on his love for Milan. If you're being unkind. Um, I suppose you might say it reflects on uh, what Ancelotti thinks of him, that he'd rather appoint someone else when he moves on. Right. Yeah, very interesting stuff.
0: Um, it seems not going to be around for too long. Clarence Sadoff come in. Before we get, perhaps coming in. Before we get to Sadoff, let's uh, let's finish off Allegri. Um, what will his sides be remembered for?
1: Um, I think, it, as, as harsh as it is to say, I think the only thing you can remember Max Allegri for is going backwards. Um mm. He, he took over the team when it was filled with players like Gennaro Gattuso, Pipo Izaghi, Alessandro Nesta and Maldini himself. And he he won the title, um, a, a very well-deserved title, uh, but won with no real challenges, I suppose. And those players started to leave. He kind of forced out Andrea Pirlo by giving him a role that Pirlo didn't want to play, which that I suppose at his age and his experience and his skill set, that's Pirlo's right. And, it's Allegri's right as Milan manager to say no. I want you to play on the left. Um, they never saw eye to eye, and I think the one telling thing about Allegri is that all these players who leave, um, none of them have had a, have a positive word to say about him. Um, Gattuso taking shots. Alessandro Nesta has, uh, and even today when he was fired, uh, Luca Antonelli, um, who moved on to Genoa this past summer his wife was retweeting lots of quotes about uh, how stubborn and pig-headed Max Allegri was.
0: Mm, Interesting stuff. I remember when I covered the league in 2010 and Allegri came in from Cagliari and it was always it always seemed like and from the outsiders looking it it, it didn't quite fit the mold of Milan, a massive club uh, and you know a lot of people in England don't know enough about the Serie A in general and I don't want to use them as the gauge audience but whenever Milan will play a big Champions League game and They'd go to Celtic or something, and then the the camera would pan to the sideline, and they'd see Allegri. I just had this vision of so many people around the world going, "Who?" It just you know, he just never really for me was enough to, to be the right man to be in charge of Milan. That might be harsh, uh, but I'd, I'd be surprised if he gets another big club. That's my my thoughts. Um, Sadov, do you think he's ready? Is he now the man in charge going forward? Do you think? Um.
1: I don't know. I think your, your earlier point about Allegri, I think he, it would be like Alan Kirby for getting the Manchester United job when he's done quite well at Charlton. Yes, uh, right. every, Everybody else, Everybody else would be like, who? But English right. fans would be like, it's Alan Kirby, he did really well at Charlton. And you'd be like, <laughs> yeah, but it's Charlton. But, yes. No, um, I think Clarence, Adolf, I'm really love to judge Clarence Adolf. He's completely inexperienced. He has no coaching qualifications. He's still playing in Brazil. Right. Yeah, that's um, yeah, um, but when you look at guys like Vincenzo Montella and Pep Guardiola, who've done really, really well, there's nothing to say that Clarence Sadoff couldn't do exactly the same. Um, it's difficult. It it would be a rare thing for a player to be able to step straight onto the bench and, and do really, really well, but we've all heard Clarence Sadoff talk when he's beaten and done TV appearances, and he's, obviously, he's often the guy that... Um, English-speaking TV channels turn to when Milan are playing in the Champions League because he speaks English. Um, he always comes across as an intelligent guy. Mm. He, he could he could do well. And I think, once I was writing about Milan today, um, and the one thing I will say is if you look at their squad player for player, it's actually not as bad as it, as it seems to be. There's a lot of cases where you look at the team that Allegri is picking and you wonder why he's making those choices. He's choosing... Um, Guys like Nocherino and Montari in midfield when he's got <laughs> De Jong and Poli and, uh, Montolivo and, uh, Brian Cristante there. He's going with, um Bursa and Matri and Robinho in attack when he's got Pazzini and Balotelli and El Chirore and it it it's really strange. A lot of it is down to his team selection rather than the squad being terrible. There, there's definitely a, a catalog of awful players in that squad, but I'd say player for player, it's as good as the squads of, say, Fiorentina.
0: Yeah, I would I would argue that the... Potentially on their day could be as good as Napoli. I mean, I know Napoli yeah. have got some outstanding players, but over 38 games,
1: yeah. You know, um, I mean, Milan have some have some outstanding players too. I mean, we've talked yes. at length here about Balotelli. You've got um, El Shaarawy in there. You've got Kaká, who's playing amazingly well. Right. Uh, Honda's just arrived. Yeah. Uh, Montolivo's very highly capped Italian international and always does quite well as long as he's not your best midfield player. He does. Yeah. Nigel de Jong has been superb since he came from Manchester City in uh, Ignazio Abate and Mattia De Scilio at fullback. They've got one of the, the most exciting fullback pairings, I think any, of any team in Italy. Um, and yeah, they're struggling in central defense, but I'm, I I just feel, um, I don't know about you, but I just feel that as a, as a good coach of a, of a team, the caliber of Milan from, uh, Adil Rame, Felipe Mexes, uh, Christian Zapata and Daniele Bonera. There must be a workable partnership between those four players. They, Absolutely. There must be. I mean, uh, Rame and Mexes were, uh, Lauren Blanc's, uh, yeah. first choice pairing for France, as James Horncastle tweeted at me today when I asked the same question. Uh, yeah. he, he just seems to not be able to bring the best from his players, and that's the ultimate, surely, remit of a coach, to, to do just that. Let's get the cards
0: out on the table and our crystal balls. Milan are 11th, 19 games into the season, exactly halfway through the season, 22 points. They are six points away from the relegation zone. 10 points away from Inter in fifth, which is the last place for the European spots. 20 points away from Napoli in the last spot for the Champions League and 30 points away from Juventus. So they currently sit 11th. Last season, they did something similar where they went on a great run in the at the, part, in the second half of the season, uh, mainly because a lot of the teams they played were not as good as them. They just started to improve. Um, before I give mine, where do you think they'll finish up? And 22 points after 19 games... Are you willing to say a potential points total by the end of the year? Um,
1: I think that's really, really difficult because obviously you you can drop points all over and a lot of it will depend on how far they go in Europe. What I will say is that when, um, obviously they've got this cup tie against Spezia in midweek and then they'll have the new coach coming in. His first three games are Hellas Verona at home and they're doing really well. They're fifth in the league, they've been fantastic, but they've only got two away wins all season. Yeah. Um, so Hellas Verona at home Cagliari away who are awful and Torino at home who are easily beatable so it's a really good time to sack your manager as as harsh as that may sound so they could get off to a really good start um, it, that's true I think, I th- and I think that they will that's I think... important as well and they've got like I said they've got Barter coming back they've got Pazzini coming back there's a real chance for the new guy to hit the ground running there and um, I can easily see them finishing top six because, yeah. as I say, Hellas are in fifth and I, I don't think they'll last the distance. Um, I, I think they're going to struggle to get a European place and ultimately I think that's the best thing for them. I mean, you look at Roma and you look at Uwe in the past couple of seasons when they've missed out in Europe and into this season the same. Um, you're Looking at the table now, there's Genoa, Lazio, Torino, Parma and Hellas above them. I think they can easily finish above both teams. And then you're looking at Inter, Fiorentina and Napoli. They could quite easily get among those teams and finish in the top five. But as I say, I don't think they want to. I think finishing sixth, as much as it'll be all they've missed out on Europe and it's an awful season, I think that will stand them in good stead for next season and it'll give the new manager time to get his feet firmly under the table with a season where all he has to worry about is Serie A. I agree with that fully. I think you
0: bang on. They've got 22 points right now from 19 games. They've only won one game away from home. 21 goals conceded away from home. That's second worst in the league behind Catania. who have been the worst team away from home all year. They've lost all 10 away games. They've conceded 27 goals. And I'm going to go with you. I think that they can get sixth. I wouldn't be surprised if they beat Inter. I've watched them a few times this year. I'm not impressed by them. The other four for me are a different class this season. So potentially fifth, definitely sixth. And, and I think I think they can get to fifty five points. I know it's a stretch. They've only got twenty two in the first half, but if, if I, I think they can play better than Inter have played in the first half, they've got thirty two points in the first half this season. Milan in the second half can be as good as Inter yeah. in the first half. I think the yeah. only
1: thing the only thing I'd say about them coming above Inter is you could always see one of those teams above them doing that as well. So, mm-hmm. so maybe six, six at best. Maybe maybe seven if Inter hold their ground. Um, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that, to be honest. I think that would look like a, a great start to who have to say it off when he comes in. If he can turn it around and finish sixth or seventh, I think they'd be more than happy with that.
0: I agree. Final question before we move on. If that happens, and let's be honest, it probably is, they're not going to get into the Europe. One, does Balotelli stay? And two, if he goes, is that the right thing for Milan?
1: Um I think he'll stay, to be honest, at eh? I think um, I think he's got a real chance to be the, to be part of something quite important there. As we've said, there are, there is the basis of a good squad there. Milan have always backed their new managers with big signings. Um, Ale- even Allegri had them, uh, to Turim had them, and he's the last coach who got fired in mid-season. Um, it always seems that, especially if the guy who comes in is Silvio Berlusconi's choice, which Zidorov is, um, he'll get back. So I think there'll be some money there. I think it'd be wrong for Balotelli to go. Um, I don't think he's going to get looked after and protected anywhere else the way he does at Milan. Right. Um, I, I think everything at that club is up for him to be a success. Uh, he doesn't have to be the leader. They've got guys like Kaká still there who will uh, take that spotlight away from him. And it's always been a player that's looked at, a club that's looked after its own. So I think he's in the ideal situation. I think he'd be a full toy. Well, look, it's he, he, still... What,
0: 23? He's 23. At some point, it's it's amazing to believe, but at some point, wouldn't you want to think, if you're Balotelli, I want to stay somewhere for a while?
1: Yeah, I I definitely do. Um, And I think people, I've said this elsewhere, but I think people are are too quick to judge a player uh, who's represented by Mino Raiola. um, Right. Or he's going to leave because that's his agent. I think Mino Raiola is an agent. He does what his players want him to do, and he'll always do that. Um, I think... Balotelli and, and Vlatan Ibrahimovic fall in the same category where they've landed in situations that, that weren't suitable for them. Um, obviously, he left Juve and Juventus fans might not like it, but at Vlatan's age, that was probably the best thing for him to do. Going to Inter, he's always going to grind, but that's the way it was. Um, he left Inter for a choice to join Barcelona, who so wouldn't do that? He didn't work out with Guardiola, so he came back and went to Milan and then he's gone to PSG. You can understand the rationale behind each move. And I think it's the same with Balotelli. He wanted out of Inter. He went to Manchester City, where Mancini was. And that didn't work out and he's come back to Milan. I, I think calling either of them a mercenary is a little bit harsh. And I, I think Balotelli needs to recognise that he's in the right place and do the right thing and stay there and uh, be a part of something special. Serie it? Syria, Syria needs a good Milan. And I think Milan need Balotelli to be a, a great side again. Agree 100% on all levels, and for
0: those Juventus fans uh, who are listening to this podcast right now, as we're going to talk about your team and some of those transfer rumors in the third segment later on in the show. Uh, but coming up next, we're going to talk about a player from the Serie A and the Premier League who landed in Toronto this weekend.
1: Okay, and Welcome back to part two of the Anglo-Italian podcast and now we're going to turn the tables a little bit and look at a club that, that's neither English nor Italian um, and go to Canada where Toronto FC have had what I would say has to be the biggest week in their history KJ.
0: Certainly have, yes. Uh, I spent most of Monday in Toronto covering the story. Um, and look doing, doing it too, if I say so myself. <laughs> Thanks, pal. Sometimes I'm required to wear a suit and tie. Um, but uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a fantastic day to cover it, and it's been an interesting team to cover. I have to say, um, we spoke on this podcast about Jermaine Defoe. Uh, obviously, coming to this team has been no secret, really, over the last six or seven weeks. But the big secret that was revealed over the last week uh, was that of Michael Bradley. And uh, I found out at last part of last week that he was actually going to be at the press conference. That got revealed this morning as well uh, before the press conference took place uh, on Monday. Um, yeah, an amazing day. You know, it's just... Uh, yeah. Uh, an incredible day that both these pl- the, the, these these players decided to come to Toronto FC. It's basically like a dream for TFC fans who have been put up with a team who's been pathetic for seven years, uh, and now that the money's been splashed to get them here, the, the
1: job starts now. Yeah, and it, it it goes back to prove what we were, what you were saying yourself um, on the show a couple of weeks back, where we were saying about Jermaine Defoe, and people were criticising the rest of the Toronto squad. And your first response to that straight away was. If you can get a player like Jermaine Defoe, wait and see who else comes to join him because he, he's going to attract other players. And straight away, you've got Michael Bradley, who's one of the, the most recognizable faces in U.S. soccer, if not the most recognizable, uh, and gives them an instant boost in their team. But for people who are watching this from afar, there's a lot of misinformation and a lot of hard-to-understand information for for people who aren't too familiar with MLS. So Do you want to give us a little bit of background information that you're aware of on each deal and how it's going to work and when these players are going to arrive and anything else that you know about them? Yeah, certainly. I mean, I
0: mean, I think first of all, we have to say that money played an absolutely monumental part in the reason why they've been, they've come here. Defoe uh, uh, will be receiving between 70 and 90,000 pounds per week. um, You know, the equivalent of almost eight million dollars per year. Uh, That's perhaps, you know, a 33% pay rise on what he was getting at Tottenham, uh, whose contract was expiring at the end of next season, and he's got it for the next four years. So it's, a, it's an opportunity, uh, You know, as he said, at Monday's press conference, a very difficult opportunity for him to turn that down. Uh, his contract will see him through until he's 35, uh, you know a real peak of his of his of his career really as a goal scorer at that level he said at the, at the press conference how important it was for him to come to major league soccer while he could make a difference and showcase his skills rather than spend a lot of the time on the sidelines being hurt and not scoring goals as he ages and I think that 's important um, but I think um back to your point about people coming, I think that Bradley came because of Defoe, but I think he will also open the doors as well they 're both pioneers for me um bradley arrives from roma uh, where he was reportedly on about 1.1 million dollars uh, per year and he's going to be getting in excess of 6 million a year it's a dramatic pay rise for a midfielder uh um, but let's be honest his value over here in north america uh is absolutely astronomical compared to what it is in Serie A, premier league uh, it doesn't matter what european league you say he's just no disrespect to Michael Bradley, he's a nice player, but he's just another midfielder uh, mm. who can who can play, you know, in in, in, in Serie A. You know, Raja Nangolan, who you and I know about, replaces him at Roma, um, but he's not getting six point five million from an MLS team tomorrow. It just mm. isn't no. happening. No. So uh, Bradley gets that money because he's a US international, and this has made absolutely massive headlines over here. The fact that a twenty-six-year-old US international uh, has made a decision to come to Major League Soccer uh, is. is is incredible and I think that, you know, people need to realise that the reason why they've come here is because obviously because of the money, but because of their value, they're maximizing their value. You could argue that TransWorth F- have picked two players here and the designated player ruled who are the best available players they could have got in the game out of the pool of players and stress on the word available the best two available players who fit the mould of a designated player on and off the field, whether the requirements of that player are at Toronto FC and you know it's an exciting time for the club as they try and build
1: themselves to be an, an MLS Cup contender Yeah, uh, fantastic points all around and I think one thing that that has been overlooked um is Michael Bradley obviously found himself as a reserve at Roma. They've made a a, a huge leap in quality since he joined. Um, And they've really left him behind almost. Um, And I think you've got got to look at their ownership with them being American themselves and say they've recognized very, very quickly that it wasn't working for Michael Bradley and don't want to be criticized for either holding him back or stalling his career. Great point. As as soon as he's asked to leave, they've straight away turned around and said, Yes, fine. If that's what you want to do they have very, very they've handled that very, very smartly for my money.
0: Yeah, great point. Look, there's been a lot written uh, over the last you know, three or four days about both these signings. Some of um, it not very accurate. Yeah, extremely, <laughs> extremely naive. And you know, people look. People are entitled to their opinion, and I've no problem with people's opinions. It's it's the uneducated things that people write, and the the quotes of people that aren't real sources that they should be quoting in articles. Uh, and the thing about Bradley is this, you know. My point is is that Major League Soccer is a different league than it was when he played here, when he was 16 and 17 with the New York Metro Stars. It's at a different level now. And why should Michael Bradley who spent eight years in Europe, sit on the bench, just because it's cool and it's the place to be for his job. Just so everybody else around the world can say Michael Bradley is playing in Europe. He's playing at the elite level. He's playing for a club, Roma, who are going to be in the Champions League. Well, guess what? You're listening to this podcast because you know about the game. Adam and I know about the game. He isn't playing for Roma in the Champions League if they get in the Champions League next season. So Michael Bradley can be sitting on the bench all he wants and saying what a great time he's playing for Roma. He's going to be having, He's going to be playing Major League Soccer 34 games Every single week, he's going to be playing in front of a North American audience. And yeah. he's going to be getting paid five times the amount of money that he was doing for it. Why should he sit on a bench in Europe? Because that's where he's supposed to be. It's the same with Clint Dempsey. That's why you went to Seattle. It's the right thing for them. Yeah. And people can say, oh, it's a bad thing for the U.S. national team. It's nonsense. These players are playing at the height of the their level. They're going to be stars in a league where they can play in front of their own their own fans. I just don't understand the negativity no. and around I, I it. Think,
1: I think that's a great point, too. I mean, at, at, at Roma, he's just another guy, isn't he? All right, if there's an, if there's an English-speaking uh, media in town, obviously they're going to zero in on him and hope to get a few quotes, but yes. he's just another guy. Those guys, uh, Dafoe and Bradley next season in MLS, they're going to be rock stars, aren't they? They're, they're going to be fitted everywhere they go. They're gonna, they will be the face of the MLS next season. And oh, in no, a World no. Cup year, it's... It's not like his skills are going to deteriorate that badly from playing in MLS from March to uh, May when the World Cup starts. When he goes off to training camp with the US national team, he's still going to be the same player. It's (laughs) it's laughable. I mean, he he doesn't. He could come and play in a a park league with you and me, KJ, for two months. He's still going to be good enough. If he's good enough now, it's. And you might wreck his legs, KJ, but I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't get near him, pal. No, but do you know what I mean? Yes. It's like, oh, well, he's going to fall. Apart. It's like, oh, no, he's going to have a nice holiday for a couple of months while it, until it starts again. Yeah. Another pre season, which won't be easy, doing a, a second pre season. Um, and then he's going to be right back at it from March, and he, he's going to be playing every week, every yeah. single game, 90 minutes, because he's just you don't pay him that money to, to not play him. So it seems like a good move. Uh, yeah. I I I, I well, but I I don't understand it and that's why I'm sitting here asking you the questions and you're the one talking. The other thing thing about
0: that on the same point is the Jermaine Defoe thing. Let's think about that. In 2006, Jermaine Defoe was treated very poorly by the FA when he didn't get selected for the World Cup when he was a slam dunk. They picked Theo Walcott as a teenager to go there instead of him. He he then, rightfully so, got taken to South Africa where he scored for England and played very well. He spoke at the press conference on Monday and said it's the height of his career. He wants to go to the World Cup. But if he doesn't go to the World Cup, that he's done it. He's done it. So, so all these people writing that, okay, he can write off his World Cup chances because of it. If that's the case, and it's, and it's still not a slam dunk, if that's the case, okay, he decided for a lifestyle, a lifestyle change – to come to a place to play for the next four years for a remarkable sum of money just to compromise a potential situation where he'd be sitting on a bench or a beach for three weeks in Brazil.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the real problem, isn't it? I mean, when you first saw the, problem, the question about England, uh, about Jermaine Dafoe, I had two thoughts. My first one was he would have spoken to Roy Hodgson. If, if he cares about going to the World Cup, he would have spoken to Roy Hodgson before he took the deal. Right. That, as a fact. He, yeah, if he was bothered about going to Brazil, he would have picked up the phone to Roy Hodgson. And the second thing is, he's been to the World Cup, as you say. He won't start in the World Cup. It'll be no Wayne Rooney and somebody else. So, if yeah. he really want to go and spend two months, because it's not just the time. at all right, two months might be a stretch for England, but <laughs> yeah, two weeks. It, it's a month of build-up. And, yeah, yes. two weeks of the group stage and maybe a week until the quarter final. Right. He's going to be reserved for that time. And we've seen plenty of players over the over the past few years retire from international football because they didn't want to do that. Jamie Carragher, perhaps famously, yes. um, fed up of being a reserve in World Cup, so he didn't want to go to another one. If you're Jermaine De do you really want to put yourself through that? And if he does, fine. If he does, he will have asked the question. and He'll know that it won't be harming his chances.
0: And I think that even if he does want to do it, I still think that... Of- and, and, and I think he does want to do it. I still don't think it was worth preventing the move to Toronto FC just just to make sure that he no. did it. Who's to say, Adam, who's to say if he stayed in England at Spurs and played through till the end of May, one, that he would have got a, 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 on the on the plane to England anyway, because he hadn't been playing for Spurs as it is. So to, to, for this notion that if he stayed in England, he'd have a better chance, but he isn't playing. And two, yeah. who's to say that he would have even been given the contract that Toronto FC had given him then? I spoke to Ryan Nelson, Toronto FC manager, b- back in October. And he was adamant when he told me whatever DPs they get, they want them at the start of the season. Yeah.
1: And that, that don't makes, want
0: makes sense. So that was the offer. It was the offer for Jermaine Defoe was there. But you have to take it if you're coming now. You can't wait and hope you get for England and then come out from the World Cup. Because you know what? If that's the case, they'll go get Alberto Gilardino instead. Yeah. So, it's either you come now or you don't get the offer. And I just think it wasn't worth saying no to on the option that you might get on, on a plane to Brazil to sit on the beach for a month.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the phrase that always gets thrown around is once in a lifetime, isn't it? Or the World yeah. Cup, once in a lifetime. Well, Jermaine before went to South Africa, like you say, he, he's done that. This, right. Toronto, this, this Toronto FC deal is once in a lifetime. Of course. So yeah. if you turn it down now for the possibility that 85 goals in the Europa League might be enough to get you to sit on the bench in the World Cup, then you, you're crazy.
0: Yeah, you are. You're, you you really are crazy. And so, yeah, it's a great deal for Toronto FC. Uh, Tim Laiwiki, obviously the president of Maple Leaf Sports and Entertainment, the owners of the club, was very bullish at the press conference saying that it only starts now. Also promising more transfers going forward, but uh, very interesting to keep an eye on. Uh, and the other thing, uh, obviously, people listening to this podcast, Italian fans and English fans, the other thing to keep an eye on is this: is that you know, no matter what you think of the standard of Major League Soccer, and some people who haven't watched a game have written about what they think about it over the last few days. No matter what, no matter what you think about it, they are now a major player, in able to get players like this. Some clubs are now major players for some of the players that you watch in your European teams because they can contend financially and some and in some cases like these two examples they can easily beat what european clubs are willing to pay out for these players so i think that's a definite point to watch going forward What we're going to do now is we're going to, it's our final segment of the show. It's, uh, number four of the back four. We're just going to go through a couple of transfer rumors. But before we get to that, we have to touch on Monday's beautiful, glitzy, uh, FIFA ceremony where the FIFA Ballon d'Or was announced. Uh, yeah. Cristiano, Cristiano Ronaldo winning the award to absolutely nobody's surprise. Um, 11 players being given the FIFA 11 player of the year, uh, with many players who shouldn't have been in there to nobody's surprise. Zlatan Ibrahimovic winning goal of the year for a goal he scored in two thousand and twelve. Uh to, to nobody's surprise. Um should I carry on, pal, or is it
1: just worth stopping now? No, people can't even get see, this that's what the, what's gonna happen when you get the the, the World Cup in the summer, kid. In the winter. No one'll <laughs> know which year anything is anymore. Well, uh, I just yeah, I was just I found myself um,
0: working a lot today. So unlike the last few years where I was glued to watching this, I don't even care about it anymore. So I was just following some of the nonsense on Twitter and I felt sorry for the people just like almost screaming out of their Twitter feed that their favorite player didn't get named to the FIFA player 11 or why is Danny Alves on there? Where is Schweinsteiger? Like, yeah, it just like just stop. Okay yeah. people like when when people like I'll say this to you people out there how many how many years did Z- Zinedine Zidane make the FIFA World World 11 nobody knows nobody cares Nobody says, you know what, Zidane was a great player because he made 19 FIFA 11s or how many. You know what, people talk about Zinedine Zidane as a fantastic player because they talk about his goal against Leverkusen or what he did in the World Cup final. This is what people talk about as players, not individual awards or memories that FIFA or FIFA 11s voted by players who don't even watch these players.
1: Yeah, uh, I'm off
0: my soapbox, but it's all utter nonsense. So.
1: It is utter nonsense. I think a lot of the things that made me laugh today is, um, People retweeting um, lists of who would voted for who for the Ballon d'Or. Um, that's always a good giggle. Seeing that's who, who the, I always like to know who the Ghana coach has voted for. That's always a, a key indicator of who's going to win. <laughs> um, but, but the one thing about the Ballon d'Or is the right guy won. Yeah, it, for, he was the best player in the world in 2012, uh, 2013. That's I think that's undisputable. Bayern Munich were fantastic. Frank Ribery is not a better football than Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, And the other thing is, the FIFA 11, um, here's a comparison I made today on on Twitter, KJ. If me and you sit down now and pick our best 11 writers in the world, because that's what we do for a living, the same as these guys uh, play football, Javi Hernandez will disagree with my 11 choices. Yes. And I don't care. (laughs) And people tweeting things like... um, uh, A Roma fan, Julian Di Martinez, uh, ESPN blogger for Roma, tweeted today, Mehdi Benati is not in the FIFA 11. No, he plays for Roma and he plays for Morocco. The chances of a Finland centre-back knowing who (laughs) Mehdi Benati is, is quite minimal. He's going to know who Carlos Puyol is. He's going to know who Jared Piquet is. Because everybody knows who they are. That's what's going to happen. Well, I like Shakira, I'll vote for Piquet. It's a popularity contest. Someone said, "Who were my like, favorite 11 uh, basketball players?" I'm going to think of 11 popular ones. If you think of any sport, that's what that you're not watching all the time. That's what you'll do. And, yeah, but Benatia's chances of winning
0: getting the FIFA—that's like asking my like going down to my local theater downtown and saying and voting for like some local actress to win the Golden Globes.
1: Yeah, it, it doesn't take away from Mehdi Benatia in any way. He's fantastic. He's been Syria's best defender for the past four months. Yes. Amazing, and if, if there was Syria Defender of the Year tomorrow, there's a fair chance he would win. As he should. Yeah. There's also a fair chance that they would give it to Giorgio Chiellini anyway, because that's how these awards go. Right. But yeah, there you go. It's not what it's like the FIFA rankings, people. It is, and um, we're on. At a... it, laugh, move on.
0: And have have some fun and just don't take it seriously. And we're on a bit of a rant today, so I'm going to get you more wound up. In the last 10 minutes, I've I've read, are you ready for this? Uh, Manchester United starting midfield next year. Uh, Arturo Vidal, Claudio Marchisio and Paul Pogba.
1: How do you feel about that? Amazing. They're going to play at Juventus Stadium and be coached by Antonio Conte. (laughs) Manchester United home games will be at Juventus. Oh, it's laughable. (laughs) As soon yeah. as I saw David Moyes was in the stands at Calgary, I was like, oh, this is not going to end well. No. You just, you know straight away. Linking a, a Calgary player, I mean, I will say the best tweet I saw was that the way David Moyes' season's gone, he was in Calgary to watch Nangolan, which I thought was just <laughs> fantastic. That's very good. Um, obviously, if you don't know, he left a week before. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, Joking aside, there was a really, really great point from Bodo Ilgna, who was co-commentating the game on um, being sport in the US. And he said, um, everybody's saying that he linked to David's story, and that makes perfect sense because if you want to know about a defender, you need to go and watch him in person because you can't see his positioning, you can't see his communication, you can't see the way that he reads the game on television. And I, I just thought that was fantastic to come from an ex-professional yeah. And a, a World Cup winner like Bodo Ilgner, to, to just get straight to the heart of the point there and just say exactly what I thought in, it, it's more likely to be this player, A, because he's more chance of going to Manchester United and more chance of Manchester United being able to afford him, um than going back for Paul Pogba for 40 million, which I've just read today, which made me giggle. Um, and it, it just made perfect sense. And, it, and even if no player from Calgary or Juventus joins uh, Manchester United this month or in the summer, it doesn't mean that that's not who he was there for. It doesn't mean he's not there to watch Arturo Vidal. He, he could have quite easily bought a ticket and thought, I'll go and watch Arturo Vidal. There's right. easier places to get to, to do that than Calgary, um which is in Sardinia for anybody who doesn't know, and it would have been a nightmare for uh, David Moyes <laughs> there, but... There are easier places to get to, to watch Juventus, and there's easier ways of watching and scouting Arturo Vidal than flying to Calgary, but that's, by the by, I can't comment on how Manchester United conduct their transfer business, I wouldn't know, but if I had to hazard a guess at the, the way they are and the scouting network that they must have, it would be for a deal that's very, very close and for a very specific type of player. Very well said. Uh, what you can comment
0: on is the club that is close to your heart and that you know a lot about, and that's Juventus. How are they going to handle this? Um, I saw a tweet, I think, from you earlier uh, on Monday about Marchesio and how he's more valuable to them than any other team. Um, first part of the question is, please explain what you mean by that. And second of all, are they in Juvent- are they Juventus? I mean, big enough to be able to say to these players, "Don't." I mean, and I don't know, they're not going to lose all three. But, you know, you don't need to go to Manchester United. Stay with us.
1: Um, I think it's three very, very different cases, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, I think, to touch on your first, he's homegrown at Juventus. He's been there since he was a very young boy. Um, he's from Turin. It, he is a Juventus fan, first and foremost. Yeah. He was a it was a ball boy there. Yeah, he was. And there's very there's quite a lot of pictures of that as well. I don't see him leaving whatsoever. And you look at the guys ahead of him in the team, and is very close to retirement. And yeah. Pogba... I would say he's the one who's not likely to stay forever, but I'll come back to that in a second. He is, he's not a reserve player, Claudio Marchesio. He's a member of the squad and a very valuable one at that. Um, his goal decided the game against Calgary, and I don't see why Juventus would sacrifice that. Looking at it from an outside point of view, Claudio Marchesio is not a £30 million midfielder. Um, he's you don't think? Player. No, I don't think he's. he's a fantastic player. He he has a great understanding of the game. He he pops up in all the right places. He's a brilliant tactically. player. But those kinds of players don't get sold for 30, £35 million. Pounds. And for you to replace him, it would cost them a lot more money than they would receive from Manchester United. I don't see any logic to him being the one to move. Um, to move on to the other three, um, Arturo Vidal... Turned down by Munich to be at Juve two years ago. Yeah. Um, he loves life in Turin. He's got the three stars for the uh, 30 Scudetto tattooed on his right bicep. Um, he loves this club. And I, I think that's really underplayed in a lot of this conversation about him being the one to move. Uh, it's just how much he's fallen in love with Juventus. Um, he might leave. Maybe not today, maybe not this summer. He might well leave. He might not see out his career at Juventus. It wouldn't surprise me if he did. Pogba is maybe the one that you could see moving on if the right offer came in, but again, he was he's another one. Um, Going back to what I was saying before about Mino Raiola, um, people call him out as being a mercenary, but he was at Le Havre in France, um, not the biggest club in France by any stretch, uh, and not a club that would ever hope to keep a player of Paul Pogba's ability for the rest of his career. So leaving there was inevitable. Uh, He went to Manchester United. Who wouldn't uh, take up that offer? much like we are saying about Jermaine Defoe. Um, he was told by Sir Alex Ferguson at the start of the 2000... When did he join the events? 2013. So 2000... No, 2012. 2011 season, that he would be playing regular for Manchester United and he made two brief appearances for the first team. And he's repeatedly said in interviews he was lied to by Manchester United. Leaving came as no surprise to anybody. Um, if, if you're ready to play, which Pogba's proved he has been, uh, he's now in the France squad. He would move on. Um, and I, I don't understand why he would now choose to leave Juventus, who have given him so much. Not, and that's quite easy to say as a Juve fan. Or, this club's given these players everything. But Pogba is a well-known player because of what he's achieved at Juventus. And now would not be the right time to leave. And I think the same is true of Arturo Vidal. He was a, a very, very good player in Germany. But he chose Juve over Bayern Munich. And he's now... Perhaps in my mind, at least, the best midfielder in the world at the moment, um, and he's achieved that at Juventus. I, I, I don't see any reason for him to leave either. Maybe nice. if there's a ridiculous offer for one of those two, they might move on. But you're in no rush to sell, and it, it doesn't appear to me, at least, that either of those two players is in any
0: hurry to leave. And there you go. And that makes it even more mystifying that Juventus are not in the last 16 of the Champions League when the game is changing more and more and the emphasis and the need for outstanding midfielders in the transition game. And we just went through some three of the most outstanding midfielders in all of Europe, all belonging to Juventus. Um, one player who's not an outstanding midfielder got about two minutes, Left, so we'll this. One player who's certainly not outstanding is Anderson, um, but maybe making a move from the Premier League to the Serie A had a bizarre move to Fiorentina. I'm not sure whether this fits the mould for the way they play. What do you think? Um,
1: No, it, it really seems bizarre. Um Obviously, everybody, everybody, everybody listening to this pretty much knows Anderson. I'm sure you're all making fat jokes right now. <laughs> uh, he, he's not exactly the uh, slick-passing, highly mobile midfielder like uh, We'll have and Alberto Aquilani and the other guys that they've got there at Fiorentina. Um, but I suppose they've, they've got through into the, in the next stage of the Europa League. They've got quite an easy draw and then a game against Juventus, so they might be looking for extra bodies for the competition. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense, but it seems to be a, a move that's going
0: through. Well, maybe they'll have less steak and kidney pies in Fiorentina for him, so it'll be a little bit better than because uh, he makes some pr- proper cracking pies in Manchester, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. He'll uh... Had one. So uh, I think you can get I think you can get a pie and a bag of crisps and a drink for a 4 four four fifty or something at Old Trafford, which is a, which not too bad of a deal considering it's a, it's a Old Trafford, but it's not quite the that uh, the, the, the the Hooray Henry show that would be some other grounds, but we'll leave that for now. Any
1: other thoughts, Paul, before we uh, Uh, we go? Somewhere right now, uh, Giancarlo (laughs) Rinaldi is screaming at this podcast about how much a slice of pizza is that they are, Emil Frank. Well, you
0: know what? If he is, Rinaldi, I want you on the show next week because one one player I haven't even had a chat to wants to talk to you about, and I'm going to put this in my notes next week. I want to talk about um, the MIA of Stefan Jovetic because it's – getting more and more puzzling by the week and that's a tease for next week's show maybe we'll talk about Jovic then uh, but for Adam Digby I am Christian Jack this has been the Anglo-Italian football podcast we once again listening and please send us a tweet at Anglo-Italian pod for any topics that you want us to cover next week as we get closer and closer to the Champions League last 16 and uh, obviously the second half of the Serie A kicks off next week and the Premier League continues until then have a great week everybody